Hi, I'm your host, Lucy Sullivan, and you're listening to The Capable Podcast, a five-part series seeking to understand and promote the strength, ambition, and greatness of young women in the city of Milwaukee. At the Milwaukee Women's March this past January, many powerful and inspiring females from the community spoke on empowerment and change. One of those voices was Dr. Alice Belcher, a longtime researcher of domestic violence and an advocate for survivors. She spoke of the invisibility of black women and the struggles they face every day. She has written four books on the effects of domestic violence, specifically on the black community. I sat down with Dr. Belcher for episode three to discuss her research and how she got started and to learn why advocacy is so important to her. I'm a survivor, let's start there. I'm a mom first, above all, and then I'm a, I'm a survivor of family violence and um, divorce because of that. I've been an advocate it, it, as a way of trying to make sense of what happened to me. Uh, I began to research what had happened to me. Prior to that, um, I was finishing my PhD dissertation at UW-Milwaukee in urban education curriculum and instruction. And because of what I was going through um, and the the violence that I had survived, it was a large part, not completely, but a large part of how I became disabled and um, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. You know, it's one thing to be, you know, go through that process. I won't go into detail, but, but I survived, but it took a huge toll on me. Belcher is among the all too many victims of domestic violence. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women in the United States have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. For Belcher, however, the abuse did not stop when the violence did. Belcher said that her abuser manipulated the court system in his favor in order to take her son from her after their divorce, and she has been fighting to get him back ever since. Part of that abuse also was the taking away of my child. When I sought um, the protection of the courts to protect me and to protect my son, after reporting the violence several times, and I think he may have been arrested maybe once or twice, but nothing done, the district attorney not prosecuting this person. I just felt, why even report it anymore? So after the last time that I was beaten in my own home and left for dead in my own home by my own husband, uh, my mother found me. I said, I'm gonna get out, I have to get out. So I just filed for divorce. I saw not being able to get the protection from the criminal court because the DA wouldn't charge him. I sought protection from the family court. But part of that manipulation is abusers using the court system. The systems, period. Court systems, guardian ad litems, child protection. They use, they've learned, they're very manipulative abusers, and they've learned that as women and children seek out these uh, systems like family court to protect us, they've learned how to use, to manipulate those systems against women and children that were designed to protect women and children. And that's exactly what happened with me took my child from me and gave him to the person he identified as his abuser and who I know had abused me. And he was a little under five and a half years old. He's now almost 17. And I've never gotten him back. And he still wants me to fight to keep trying to get him back. I have a court hearing uh, next month, still. Despite her trauma, Belcher wanted to help other women who were going through the same kind of struggles she was. 
So she got to work and put her skills and research to good use. But I'm a trained researcher in uh, qualitative and quantitative research. So I began to research what had happened to me and found out this thing was called domestic violence. I'm going way back years ago, ten, over 10 years ago. And I began to learn more about it and I wrote a curriculum. I wrote a, a curriculum to train advocates, which would be guardian ad litems, people who work with children and women and families, law enforcement, some PhD, a lot of uh, licensed clinical counselors went through our certification program that at the time I partnered with the local college. And I wrote that curriculum. I researched it and I wrote it and I had it peer reviewed by domestic violence and sexual assault advocates across the state. And I had it peer reviewed by PhD professors at the college where I delivered the program for several years um, because I wanted it peer reviewed. And we trained over 100 advocates in the community, uh, successfully graduated about 90, I think it was, of them. And they are building and doing things in this communities and others, from Madison to here. I mean, I'm very proud of that, that program and being able to do that. After the pilot advocate training program was finished, Belcher knew she couldn't stop there. The community kept pulling at me saying, Alice, when are you going to do another training? When are you going to do the trainings? Because we did them on the semester scale following the college's semester. And it just it wasn't possible. So I said, I have to find a way to get this information out to the community. So I began to write. I took the curriculum I wrote, did additional research, and decided to write it four books, to put it into four books. The first book, it's, it's called the Alice Belcher Domestic Violence Library. And in that library, the first book is the one that is called Prevention uh, for the African American Community. And I chose that to be the first book in the, ser in the library series because domestic violence in this area, and, I, and what I'm finding even in the research, is more prevalent. Uh, it happens in every race every socioeconomic. It happens heterosexual, you know, um, homosexual relationships. It doesn't matter. It happens everywhere. Your income doesn't matter. But the domestic violence homicide rate is highest among African women, African-American women. Um, so I wanted to hit that community specifically. That book can be taken by anyone and used relevant to any race or, or, or community, but specifically I wanted to target that community. The other book is on healing, family violence healing, and how to walk through that process and how to be able to come out the other end and what that looks like. And then the third book is on systemic abuse. Some of that I just described. What happens when women report? Um, what has been happening historically is that we are being re-victimized by those systems that were designed to protect us family court systems predominantly. So I wrote that book on systemic abuse, not only to bring light to what's happening, but to give some of the anecdotes to help guardian ad litems, to help judges, to help those systems, to help evaluators, social workers, really get and understand the dynamics of DV and how that's being used to even manipulate them, which is a hard sell. Because evaluators and court systems don't want to acknowledge that they've been manipulated, but they have. I don't know how women found me, but women started contacting me and through other people. And I heard you went through something similar and we began to talk and converse and they said, well, my, I know another lady, I know another lady. I ended up getting, you know, meeting with all of these women from 
all over the state of Wisconsin, as far up north as you can imagine, who were like, they took my child in family court and they took my child and I'm going through this abuse. And, oh, and we just began to meet and to talk and I began to um, research it more. According to Justice Bureau statistics, black women are victimized by domestic violence 35% more than white women are. Additionally, even though black women only make up about 13% of the population in the U.S., they make up more than half of female homicide victims. I asked Belcher why she thinks this correlation exists, based on her research and personal experience. For a while, I sat on the Milwaukee Homicide Review Commission. That Homicide Review Commission was founded by Mallory. Who can remember Mallory's last name at this point? But anyhow, she formulated the, homic- the Milwaukee Homicide Review Commission and She's doing a lot of research and study into homicide in Milwaukee. I think now she's doing it on gun violence or something. But at that time, she was doing it on domestic violence and the deaths. Reading a lot of the research and what people have, other people have found, I would say in summation, it comes to this in relation to the African-American community, predominantly in Milwaukee, because that's what I researched a lot. 77%, I would say maybe going back as maybe within the last five years, 77% of the domestic violence homicides in Milwaukee um, are committed against black women by black men. Over 70% by black men. Incredible. So you got to ask, what is going on in the, in the black community in Milwaukee between black men and black women? You have to look at Okay, what's impacting that entire race of population of people? Well, poverty, number one. Milwaukee having the largest population of black people in the state living in Milwaukee, not the county, in Milwaukee, and that's over 70%. A black, the entire state of Wisconsin black population lives in Milwaukee. And a lot of that is poor. And so you got poverty that's impacting that black family. You have racism, which is also impacting the poverty because it's impacting hiring. It's impacting employment, who you hire. It's impacting when you hire, how low the salary is. And for black women particularly, we're the highest educated and make the lowest amount of money. Yeah, if we get hired at all, even by comparison to black men. So when you look at the socio, the economic education, (laughs) you now also have these highly educated black women compared to maybe not so educated black men. That's a dynamic. May not be comfortable for black men. Might be some intimidation there. You have black men knowing that black women are not gonna necessarily call police on them. Belcher described how this legacy of distrust between the black community and the authorities worsens the problem of domestic violence. And she experienced this firsthand. How did I start this interview off? One of the first things I said was, I did not want to call the police on my husband. I didn't want him to go to jail. I just wanted, I wanted things to stop. You know, I didn't, I never wanted him to go to jail. Why? Well, um, the, popu- the, the jail population right now is overflowing with, with people that looks like my brother and my sons and the person I was married to at the time. Black women as a whole, I'm not speaking for all of them, but as a whole, we don't want to contribute to that population. We tend to protect them. I don't know if you saw the movie that just came out, Black Panther, but in that movie, 
It has these black warrior women, which is what we are, really. But in that movie, it shows, even in that movie, who's protecting the king? Who's protecting the black male? Black women. It was symbolic. Because that's our relationship. Even sometimes when they're abusing us, we still protect them. This protective nature of black women leads to manipulation, Belcher said. If they're going to use as a whole, if it's an abusive relationship, which we're talking about black women being killed in homicide and domestic violence, if they can manipulate entire social services and just social justice systems, can't they not manipulate her in that home? Oh, you're going to send me to jail? Or I'm the breadwinner? Or um, are you going to add to that population? Or my kids, you know, we don't want our kids to be fatherless. We don't want to be that single black woman with no dad in the house. All these things. We stay. Where are we going to go? We're poor. We ain't got no money. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? If you go to a shelter, it's not necessarily um, culturally responsive. Most shelters, for example, you have to feed your kids at this time and this time and this time. That's when they eat. Well, we feed our kids when they're hungry. I can't go down in that kitchen and just cook like I want to. Other thing, most shelters, if you got a kid, 13, 14, whatever, he's a male, he can't go in that shelter. What are you going to do with your kids? We stay because of when we try to get out and go to the systems to help us, they use them against us. We, if we call, go to the family court, they take our kids. You, you keep, you, now if you call the police, they're coming out to your house repeatedly and there's kids in the house. Police are now in Milwaukee, are calling social services. Saying the kids are at risk, so now you're going to take our kids. We're not calling nobody. We're not calling nobody. Because you're going to take our kids. So we're trying to deal with this situation. We have no place. Who cares? We're just black women that nobody cares about. I said it in the speech that I gave at the Women's March. The invisible black woman. Who cares? Nobody. Nobody cares. They don't care about what we're going through. They don't care about what our children are going through. They don't care. We are out here fending for ourselves. We are doing the best we can with absolutely no support. I'm just keeping it real. Special thanks to Dr. Alice Belcher for indeed keeping it real and sharing her insight with me. Our quote this week comes from activist Malala Yousafzai. There are two powers in the world. One is the sword and the other is the pen. There is a third power stronger than both, that of women. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next time to The Capable Podcast.